Tonight's first reading is from Genesis chapter 1, verses uh, 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The second reading is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. This is God's word. Let's, uh, let's pray together as we begin. Father, we thank you so much again for giving us these uh, foundational chapters of the Bible, so important for orientating ourselves about who we are, why we're here, how we're to live. And this evening, would you give us a clear perspective on how, what is, how we're to view work, 
but more importantly, what we're to have in place even before we go to work. So that we would go to work, work for you, trusting you, resting upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us understand more of that, we pray this evening, so that we do work and indeed rest for the honour of your name. Amen. As I say, that uh, we're uh, spending a few weeks, well, most of this term really, in the first few chapters, uh, chapters 1 to 4 of uh, Genesis. So in one sense, atypical sermons to normal. We're not taking a passage and, and in one sense working our way through it and uh, explaining how it all fits together. But looking at these early chapters of Genesis, some of the foundational truths that are there, and then seeing how they, they pan out in the rest of the Bible. So we don't just look at page 1. We look at the whole of the scriptures uh, and see how God has established his world and what that looks like, particularly in the coming of Jesus Christ. And um, so this is our third week, just in this uh, first chapter of uh, Genesis. We said there's a couple of introductions to Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3 is the first introduction. It's big focus on the fact that God created. That's the main point. God created. And then actually next week, uh, in our sort of picking up pace, we'll get into chapter 2. And chapter 2, verse 4 to chapter 3, verse uh, 24 is um, it's the second introduction and really what went wrong. With the world, but we're still in that first one, and uh, tonight thinking uh, essentially about work and rest. So we come to um, really one of the great gods of London tonight, because inevitably we have to think a little bit about careerism, which I would imagine for a congregation such as this is one of the most threatening little gods that there are. I mean, I would be far more concerned for for most here that they are uh, influenced by careerism than they are, for example, by atheism. Most people would be far more damaged by careerism, living for their career. I mean, really, in central London, um, uh, living in London, particularly at a certain age and stage, Careerism, I mean, it's only real rival as a false god, probably is sex. We'll come to that in two weeks' time. Uh, but tonight, the, um, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, but careerism, living for work or being over-obsessed with work, it's an enormous pressure upon a crowd such as us uh, here tonight. And to, I mean, let me put it very simply as we begin. The Bible would say quite clearly, Either God shapes your work, or work becomes your God. Either God shapes your work, or work becomes your God. A recent survey by Warwick University uh, was plotting um, contentment in the workplace. And uh, overall, throughout the whole of the workforce, it's been on the decline. So apparently in 1970, uh, about uh, 68% were satisfied in the workplace. Uh, now, in uh, 2011, it's about 43% are satisfied. That may just be that people are a little expectations and uh, want a bit more. But generally, work satisfaction works on a U-bend, apparently. So uh, people are their most satisfied in the workplace in their early 20s. Starting out in the career, yeah, I'm going to be brilliant. And uh, so people are quite excited and satisfied by work. The, uh, the nadir comes in the um, uh, mid to late 30s. That's when people apparently dislike their jobs the most. That may be enormously encouraging to a number of you. If you're in your mid to late 30s and hating your job, it's only going to get better on average. 
Um, so it dips then. And I think the, the, the logic of the argument is at that point, people realize, oh, oh, I'm pretty ordinary. I'm not sensational. I'm not going to set the world on fire. And uh, ooh, another 30 years of this and uh, rising. 31, 32 is the pension age will creep up, no doubt, in our lifetime. Oh, but then actually it gets better again, hurrah. So uh, people in their uh, uh, 50s apparently are a bit more satisfied, content. Maybe that's just because the, 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 there's lights. So they can see the tape uh, at the end of retirement. I don't know. But it generally works a bit like that. Uh, if you're interested in these sort of things, the most satisfied job in the whole of the UK. Can you imagine what that would be? <laughs> it's a good guess, but actually it's not right. Um, it's a fireman. Actually, a fireman. Uh, firemen are the most satisfied and uh, factory packers are the least satisfied. You, know, you, can, you can kind of guess. You can see that. You can see the immediate payoff with a fireman, a factory packer. What on earth am I doing? Genesis chapter 1. And in particular, as we turn into chapter 2, just the very beginning of it tonight, very important for us. It could help address the, uh, the big um, god, the little god of London, that is careerism. Unless God shapes our work, we will allow work to become our God. Very easy to let that happen. So we're going to think about work. In fact, mainly we're going to think about resting from our work. Uh, and rather, don't, as we'll get to in a moment, but don't think of that primarily in terms of me and my duvet and maybe a film. Biblically, when we think rest, primarily, that is being satisfied with Jesus Christ. A trust in Jesus Christ that satisfies your soul primarily is what rest is in the scriptures. Okay, so it works like this tonight. We'll think about uh, the blessing of work, and it is a blessing, the higher blessing of rest, and then the ultimate blessing of rest. It goes like that. Let's take them in turn then. First then, uh, Genesis, uh, end of chapter one, the blessing of work. Now, uh, last time... Um, we thought a little bit, uh, well, we thought quite a lot about what it means to be made in the image of God, the enormous dignity that gives us. That was really last week we thought about that. But again, just turn back to chapter 1 and verse 26 of Genesis as we think of the, uh, the blessing of work. Let me read it again. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock of the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God has made us to resemble him. Do you remember this last time? God has made us to resemble him, to be like him. Enormous dignity in that. That pans out in two main ways. To rule as his stewards over creation. It's not a bad way for putting it. And then to be in relationships, both with him and others. That, those are the two main ways we resemble God himself. But here then, we are to rule over the creation. Again, you get it in verse 28. God blessed them, male and female, equal. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So all the way back in Genesis 1, humanity's task uh, given to us by the Creator was to begin in Eden and then move out from Eden, filling the earth, subduing the earth, taking the resources that God has put there and nobly using them using them wisely, kindly, for the good of humanity, yes, for the good of other creatures, yes, for the good of the planet. We're meant to spread out, fill the earth and subdue it. We're meant to do that by 
or taking the raw materials of the earth and reforming them, making them into things, be it uh, a field, putting grain in and making crops, be it a sheet of paper, writing all over it and producing books or, or notes and producing music, whatever it may be, or, or taking a, a piece of paper and writing a contract that means that someone is secure in their job or uh, they've created some marvellous invention and they get the money for it. Order the world, subdue it, be creative. That is what mankind was meant to do. And that is acting as God's agents, being creative, organising the world. That is the work God has given us to do that is honouring to him. Now, there's a very real sense that in doing that, we worship him. Which is an encouraging thought as, as we go to our, whatever it may be tomorrow, our desks or whatever. As we do our jobs, it is in a sense, a very real sense, worshipping God. If we do it for his glory, it needs to be that caveat. We worship God, not just during the filling in of the spreadsheet or whatever it is we choose to do with our days, not just filling in the spreadsheet, not that just, just, excuse me, not just during it, we can do something which is useful for God while we're doing this mundane task, but the very activity of filling in the spreadsheet is glorifying to him if we acknowledge him and honor him in it. It's very encouraging, very encouraging indeed, I think. So whatever you're doing tomorrow, whether you go and sweep the streets or sweep up on the stock market or um, uh, control a classroom or conduct a, a, a musical, whether you write a novel or write a spreadsheet, whatever it is you may be doing, that is honoring to God. That is an enormous way of serving him in this world. That's what God has given mankind to do, this work. There is a great blessing of work. Okay. There's an enormous amount we could say on that, but uh, let's move on. In this sense, Genesis chapter two, then. So there's a blessing of work. God gives us that to do. There's a higher blessing of rest. As I tried to say before, uh, Genesis chapter two, verses one to three, they're all part of this first um, first creation account. It's fairly daft to have a, um, uh, a chapter break. It's not divinely ordained there. Just at some later editor has put in the, the big number two. But it's the whole of the f- creation week here. But you look at the seventh day, it's obviously different. It's very different to the others. So don't get the same mantra that you've had all the way through. Every other day, days one to six, and God said, and it happened. Oh, sorry, God said, let there be light, animals in the sea, and it happened. And God said, good. And it was the evening and morning, and then you move on. It goes like the, the seventh day, different. Don't get that formula that's there. Instead, a great emphasis on what's done or achieved. So, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Verse 2. By the seventh day, God had what? He'd finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. And then verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You need to be careful. Uh, When it says God rests, it's not that God just, oh, I'm exhausted, good night, and has us, you know, it's not that he just, he puts his feet up. His work of creation is finished. He rests from creating a planet that is habitable for mankind and good for him. 
I mean, Jesus can say, John chapter 5, my father is still at work on this day, on the Sabbath day. God is always working, sustaining the planet, but he's finished his work of creating. That's the emphasis here. And he says the seventh day is different. It's holy. Holy just meaning set apart, distinct. You do something different on the seventh day. In our house, Friday is holy to the chocolate spread. Uh, that's the only day in our house you can have chocolate spread on your toast at breakfast time. It's, so Friday is the holy day of chocolate spread. Okay? Friday is different. So when God says the seventh day is holy, it's different. I have different purposes for the seventh day. That's the emphasis. Of course, there is a sense in which the seventh day doesn't even finish. You don't get there was evening, there was morning, the seventh day. It just rumbles on. There's a sense in which the seventh day is the whole of history. We live in this seventh day. Now, the point of this in this whole creation week, let me try and explain it this way. The... Um, Mankind, on day six, as we said last time, very different, very different emphasis of mankind. Mankind, in one sense, is the climax of God's creation on day six. And yet, there is another day. So the climax of creation is God creating mankind. But its purpose is rest. Do you see the difference? You can imagine, or maybe not, uh, you are somehow wonderfully chosen to represent your country in a World Cup. Let's say it's a rugby World Cup. Anyway, that's going on. So you're chosen to represent your country in a rugby World Cup, say. That's great. That's good. That is, you know, wonderful to be chosen to represent the country. But, of course, the purpose of that is to win the cup. That's the goal. That's the purpose. You don't say, brilliant, I've been selected. And um, just stay at home on your couch. You have, a, you have something to do. So just here in the creation account, mankind is chosen, selected as God's representative. Wonderful with a purpose. To rest. To find their rest in him. Now let me just take you on a little tour of the Bible because we need to explain this uh, a bit more carefully. Rest then, not just ceasing labor... But rest is finding your satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Let me just show you that's what the Bible means uh, all the way through. Uh, a quick talk, because the next time you get, the, the, next time you get the, um, the real emphasis on the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments in uh, Exodus chapter 20. Of course, and uh, the commandment, uh, fourth commandment, is given like this. <clears throat> Let me just remind you. God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your manservant, or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within the gates. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Just pause there. So there's a connection between what God did in creation and now my people, Israel, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, I want you to rest. But then in the rest of Exodus, it really pushes a little bit further why. So we get the next one, Exodus chapter 34, verse 21 is a good example. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing season and harvest 
you must rest. Now, this may be hard, it may be easy. Imagine you're a farmer. Okay, you may, may not have seen a farm, you may never have seen a sheep or a cow or a tractor. Um, but imagine you're a farmer. You may have met someone with agricultural manners. Imagine you're them. Uh, you're a farmer. You're a farmer in Israel, and it's harvest time. And you're desperate to get in the harvest because your whole livelihood, everything that you are, depends upon getting in this harvest. And uh, you've had a good couple of days, and the combines are, they're fired up, and all the guys, they're working well on the farm. And uh, then God says, tomorrow, stop. Yeah, but there's good weather tomorrow. Um, you know, we should just keep going while we can. Keep going while the going's good. I mean, if we leave it a day, it might rain. What if we leave it and then the insects come and the locusts attack? What if, you know, the combine breaks down or something? We should just get the harvest in now. It's so important. It's everything we are. Everything we live off is this harvest. We don't want to stop for a day. And God says, stop. And remember who I am. I am your God who made the world and made you. And I want you to stop for a day. And when you stop, it says... Lord God, we trust you. We're not just ceasing our work, but we are ceasing to rely upon ourselves. We don't just rest from labor, we rest from self-reliance. And so everything we do depends upon us. Our success at work is entirely down to me. We're going to rest from that by having a day off. And say, we trust you. And so it was built into the structure of God's people in the Old Testament. One day in seven, you had to have off. One year in seven, they had to have off. Weren't allowed to plant in the land. Weren't allowed to harvest the land. A year of no income? That's full on, isn't it? God doesn't say that to us now. But how would you feel? You've worked for six years. Next year, you need to take the year off. You're not allowed to earn anything. How will I live? Trust me. Yeah, how will I live? Um, Trust me. Rest from your self-reliance and trust me. Do you see what the Sabbath was designed to do for God's people then? Not just a rest from working, but a rest from self-reliance. Next time you get the uh, the Sabbath come up is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It makes a similar point, but slightly different. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall slave and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. Neither you nor your son nor daughter nor manservant nor maidservant nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals nor the alien nor your manservant. The maidservant may rest as you do. Great. Why? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Why take a day off, God? To remember what I've done for you. To remember I'm a good God to you. Remember, you were slaves, but I've rescued you. Go back a slide. Six days you shall slave. It's very strong how he puts it. So do you see the point that's being made? God says, you were slaves, literally, physically, people cracking the whip over your head. You were slaves in Egypt. I rescue from that. Now, you slave away at your work. If you cannot take a day off your work, you are still a slave. 
You see, that's the point being made. You're a, if you can't take time off from your work in order to give thanks to me, acknowledge me, uh, trust me rather than yourself, if you can't rest from your self-reliance, you're a slave. Maybe to different things. You're maybe a slave to a, a deeply unreasonable boss. You may be a slave to your own ambition. You may be a slave to your parents' ambitions for you. You may be a slave to the money you want to earn. You may be a slave to your career, but you're still a slave, says God. If you can't rest from your self-reliance and think everything rests upon, sorry, everything is dependent upon you. If you can't stop work, you're a slave to it. It's very strong, isn't it, how he puts it? Remember what God has done. So the best way I put it, how, what, do you see what the Sabbath then, this day off, this day of rest, was meant to do for God's people in the Old Testament? They're meant to say, all right, we're going to stop now. Be nice. I mean, it's nice to rest because we're a bit tired. You know, we're quite exhausted from uh, planting and, and, uh, and uh, harvesting, etc. But more important than that, we are resting from our self-reliance, from thinking it's all about me and what I can achieve today. We're resting from that and remembering what you can do for us and who you are. Best quote, I, I mean, this, this I thought was an excellent way of summarizing it from chapter Henri Blocher. The Sabbath given to Israel then relativizes the works of mankind, the contents of six working days. It protects mankind from total absorption by the task of subduing the earth. It anticipates the distortion which makes work the sum and purpose of human life. It informs mankind that he will not fulfill his humanity in relation to the world, which he's transforming, but only when he raises his eyes above. See what it's saying? God has given work to mankind. That is an enormous blessing. And he says, six days, work at it, go for it, very hard. But don't let that dominate. I'm going to insist you take a day off in order that you look up and say, everything that I have is what the gifts you've given me. I rely upon you and not upon my own labors to get me through this week. Rest. Yes, it's physical, of course, but it's deeper than that. It's a spiritual act. I trust you, God. I don't rely upon myself. So ability, you know, taking time off, very good, very healthy. Spiritually resting upon God, trusting him rather than yourself. That is the foundation. That's the foundation to it. Let me just push that a little bit harder. Let me give, you, give me five minutes on spiritual rest. And then uh, we get to physical rest and what that might actually look like. But the spiritual rest is foundational. We have read at the beginning. Uh, the words of Matthew 11, uh, verse 28. Jesus arrives. And choosing his words very carefully, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So do you see what he's saying? It is not, come to me, because I'm really good at admin. I'm a great administrator. My, type, my touch typing, phenomenal. My speed, you know, I will make your life much easier. And uh, come to me and I'll give you, you know, become a Christian this week and get a two-week holiday in Bermuda. I will give you rest. He's not saying that. And I'm not saying that. 
He's saying, come to me and I will do something to your soul. I will quieten it. I will satisfy it. Come to me. Put aside the burden. Take off your yoke. Take off your careerism. Take off the attempts you're making to, to find your purpose in your work. Take off your attempts to find your purpose in your own achievements. Take off your self-reliance and put me upon you. Yes, there are obligations to being a Christian. Of course they are. But they're wonderful ones. Take my yoke upon you. You are meant to find your meaning in me. You are meant to trust me. You are meant to, before you go to work, remember that I, Jesus Christ, have worked for you. I've worked salvation for you upon the cross. Let that truth enter your heart. So when you go to work, you do so not stressed, but trusting in him. Come to me. Now, I don't know how long you've been a Christian or if you're a Christian at all. That's still quite hard. That's still quite hard. Here's a very honest quote. Uh, Helen Mirren wouldn't call herself a Christian. Some would have heard this before, but I think it's such a striking quote. I'm going to use the game. Here's her honesty about restlessness. For, you know, Oscar winning, phenomenally successful, of course. Helen Mirren, how can you not love her? She's sort of national treasure. I don't know what that means, but she is one. Here's her talking about her own uh, ambition. I wake up in the morning sometimes wanting to retire from my own ambition. Let me go, I say. Let me go, I say. Please let me go. Haven't I done enough? Haven't I proved myself enough? Can't I be left in peace now? Why am I still eaten up with envy at what everyone else is doing? Why always the continuous anxiety, the worry, the, the one eye over the shoulder, wondering what's around? Who's being offered what part? Why haven't I been offered that? God, I wish I wasn't like that. I'd give anything to know what satisfaction feels like. There's admirable honesty in that statement, isn't there? But she just can't stop because I've got to go to work tomorrow. I've got to go to work. I've got to get another part. I just can't retire because what's everyone else doing? Will people forget about me? And she needs desperately the words of Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me. Find rest for your soul. Now go out to work and do a good job. Not anxious, not worrying, not thinking it's all about you and gosh, my looks are fading. Can I really go on for another 10 years? Don't go like that. Go trusting in me and then go to work and enjoy it. It's great honesty there. She has, dare I put it, I don't know. But from that quote, let me suggest that a Helen Mirren has careerism as her God. Her own success is what drives her. And it's a very demanding God. It never lets her go. It always wants more. But let's be honest. Do you know that? I know that. Many of you know that. You know, work is it's a little trickier than it was 18 months ago. And it's a little more demanding. And there might be another little head cull uh, in uh, the next few months before Christmas. And so I'm anxious. And I've got to prove myself. Or if I just, if I accept another concert, if I do another gig, I'm bound to get noticed. I can't say no to anything. Because that, that might be the one at which I get spotted. And I can't say no. 
look for myself, I know very well. You know, you look around and think, oh, gosh, you know, things aren't quite what they should be. So I just work harder. Let me just get up. You know, I need, I need to get up earlier. I can cram a bit more into the day. What I need to do is micromanage everything, everything in the church life. What are you wearing? You take that off. The, uh, you know, and it micro, micro, how good's the wine? Yeah, micro, micromanage. If I just, if I micromanage everything, I personally, me, I can make it all work and make it all better and improve. Well, you know, moments of that. Ask the staff every now and again. We all have that, don't we, at times. I, it's all about, I'm the only one who can fix this mess. Now, of course, you're starting out your new business. It may feel very much like that. Of course it will. But God says, Jesus Christ says, come to me. Come to me. Rest in me. Know that I have worked for you. Worked salvation for you. I am looking out for you. Rest in me. Have you rested? Now go to work. But I only do so once you've rested in me. Spiritual rest. Then a few comments on physical rest. What does that mean practically? So inevitably someone, someone asks, what does that, what, practically, does that mean I take a Sabbath off? Is God angry with me if I send an email on a Sunday? Or is it a Saturday? I get a bit confused. Is God going to be angry with me if I do those things? Am I allowed to look at my phone on a Sunday? Or if I, is, that, is that a sin? Stop. 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 God says, Jesus Christ says, come to me. Come to me and find rest. Fundamentally, that's how you keep a Sabbath. You come to him, trust in him, not yourself. Come to me. Okay. Good, good, done that, good. Did that a few years ago, okay. But in terms of taking a day off, can I, if I, can I take half on Wednesday and half on Saturday? Is that okay? Um, what's a biblical working week? Is it 35 hours or is it 80 hours? What do you, what's, the, what's the best biblical? What about 70 hours? Seven's a good biblical number. Twelve's a good biblical number. Seven, twelve's 84. 84 is the perfect biblical. No, stop. Stop. There are no rules on these sort of things. Please don't burden yourself with them. There are no rules. There is nothing inherently virtuous about working a small week or inherently wicked about working an 80 week. You could work a, I don't know, 30 hour week and say, I am very godly because I'm not obsessed with work. And him over there, he's very, uh, very ungodly because he works 80 hours as a medic. Of course, you could be a 30 hour a week worker who doesn't just lounges around and plays on a we, a Nintendo Wii or something, and does nothing else, and God ignoring. Or you could put in 80 hours a week, but trust in the Lord and honor him in all that you do. There's no numbers. You can't put numbers to these things. Stop. Rest in him. Then go to work. Now, of course, there is something in the fact God has given us a rhythm to the week. Now, you need to be careful with Genesis 1 and 2, because the seventh day doesn't end. So it's not a perfect working week, because God doesn't go to bed on a Sunday and wake up on a Monday and go, oh, time to create another planet. It's not a perfect model. But there's something analogous in that. That's what's drawn out in Exodus chapter 20. God gives it as a model. God obviously rests in the evenings. There's evening and morning. He doesn't create anything. And then he has another go the next day. And then he rests on a day. There is a pattern there. Rest at night and then get up and do another day's work and have a day of rest. There's some sort of pattern there. But don't be obsessive. 
Let me suggest two questions. I've found them helpful. Others have found them helpful. Two questions to ask about, am I working too hard? Am I a little obsessive about work? Two questions. Here's the first. Question one. Do you go to work satisfied with Jesus Christ, resting in him and trusting in his provision? Or do you go to work fearful that success rests upon you alone? Snappy, huh? Easy to remember. No. Uh, do you go to work resting in Jesus Christ or thinking it's all about you? Well, it varies, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It varies at times. Second question, are other arenas of my life, other biblically ordained obligations neglected? So biblically, there are three chief arenas of life. There's work, there's family, there's church, are the three great arenas in which we live our life. And friends kind of sit over those or are part of them. And Bible says you need to, there are obligations in all of them. And you can't say, I'm just doing work and the other two can go hang. You can't do that if you're a Christian. You need to fulfill your obligations in all three. Two, and they're only rule of thumbs. What do you need most of all? You need to be accountable. You need to be accountable to other people. Have those who will ask you questions. Those who look after you. You seem to be working a bit hard. Can I ask how that's going? You need question, people to ask you questions. It's very easy to slip into obsession in this arena. You know, there's that magic line. You, anyone seen the film, The Devil Wears Prada? Remember that? <laughs> there's just a lot of girls nodding, a lot of men shaking. Um, <laughs> so Anne Hathaway is, uh, is the uh, actress uh, working uh, for Meryl Streep. And Anne Hathaway, her character, Andy, she's obsessively working for her boss in the fashion industry, obsessively working for Miranda, her boss. And on one occasion, she's out for a date with her boyfriend, Nate, and uh, they're having a bit of a ding-dong in the street. The phone rings. It's Miranda. And uh, Andy looks at the phone, looks at Nate, looks at the phone, looks at Nate. I said, I've got to take this call. And she takes the call. It's Miranda. And Nate turns around to her. This is a great line and says... Oh, by the way, just in case you're wondering, the person whose calls you take, that's the one you're in a relationship with. <laughs> and he's right in that sense for her. So you need someone to ask you those sort of questions. So do you go to work trusting in Christ or do you go to work thinking it's all about me today? It's all about me today. What did you do? And the second, other other areas or obligations which get dropped. They're two. They're not perfect. Okay, the high blessing of rest. Now, last, very briefly, the ultimate blessing of rest. Turn back with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Very briefly as we close. Hebrews chapter 4, page 1, 2, 0, 3. There's spiritual rest. That's the foundation, trusting in Jesus Christ. There's physical rest. There's taking time off in order to look to him and be refreshed. But ultimately, the ultimate blessing of rest, that's in the future. That's in the future. Chapter, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, it's in the future. Ultimately, God's rest is in heaven, the new creation. 
Flick on, uh, flick on a few verses, chapter nine. Uh, sorry, verse nine, chapter four, verse nine. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's in the future. You'll never find rest perfectly in this world. You won't. It's not found under your duvet. It's not found in two weeks in the Maldives. You'll never find rest perfectly in this world. That awaits in heaven, in the new creation. That still stands in the future. But uh, verse 10, anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. You can enter into the rest of Jesus Christ now. That is, say, Jesus Christ, you have worked for me. You have obeyed and lived a perfect life. You've died a perfect death in my place. You've worked for me, and I trust you as my savior to look after me. I rest in you. You enter the rest. And he says, yeah, that can satisfy your soul now. It's not heaven, but you know a little of that now. So practically, what should we do? Well, practically, verse 11, therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. Now, to simplify the argument of Hebrews, what does it mean, make every effort? Just keep trusting Jesus Christ, will you? Is what he's saying. Don't let go of him. Keep trusting him. Meet up together. Make every effort to keep believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. You know, God says when we gather together on a Sunday, it's a little, very little, very little. It's a little foretaste of heaven. Because we're pausing from our activity and we're saying, yeah, God, can you speak to me? Can you refresh me? Can you lift my eyes to you so I see you more clearly as I enter my week? Can I rest in you now in order to go and work? It's a little picture of heaven. Keep on with those things, he says. Keep going with those things. Keep believing in Jesus Christ. If you've never done so, do so. But keep believing in him. You'll find a satisfaction for your soul available now. And you'll enter the rest, perfect rest, in the new creation. That's the ultimate blessing of rest. Rest in Jesus Christ now. Put down your self-reliance and trust in him. Practically take time off in order to do that. This is a virtuous spiral. As we stop and take time off work and gather together and encourage one another, we look up. And then we're refreshed and we go to work trusting in him. It's wonderful how that works. And he'll keep us looking towards the new creation. Rest in him. This afternoon I was trying to do a bit of homework uh, with my six-year-old. It went badly. Uh, maths, which normally is, is, is the strong suit. So when that goes badly, the rest is downhill. And uh, it is, he's got, he got wound up and he couldn't really do it. And he says, Daddy, I hate this. I hate this homework. This is a stupid homework. There is no point in doing this homework. And I will never get this homework done. And so you do, as, as a parent, what you do a hundred times. You say, look, I know you hate it. And sometimes work is quite hard. Sorry about that. You think it's stupid. Can I, as your daddy, say to you, this, is, this will help you. Do you know that daddy loves you? Yes. <laughs> well, trust me. Does daddy look after you? Yes. Trust me. Trust me that this is good for you. But I still can't do it. I'll help you. I'll help you. And we need to hear Jesus Christ as an older brother saying to us, come to me, come to me. Work is hard. Life is hard. Yeah, I know. I know. 
I know. But I love you. I would not put you through anything you don't need. I know what you need. And I will help you. Come to me. Keep coming to me. Lift your eyes to me. Rest from your work. And then go to work. And do so for the honor of my name. But rest in me. And then go. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for these beautiful, marvelous, wonderful words of Jesus Christ as he offers us rest for our souls. And Father, no matter where we are, if we've never understood that, we we pray that we draw closer and indeed in time come to him and put our faith in him, put aside relying upon self and trust in him. For those of us who've been Christians a number of years, would we come to him, rest from our own self-reliance, And trust in him. Then go to work. Trusting that he will provide. We pray we do so for the honor of your name. Amen.